0: Welcome to another amazing episode on the Pace and Freedom podcast. I am your host, James Pace. On this episode, I have with me Kevin Kubeski, who is running against a previous guest of the show for Sheriff of Pima County, Arizona. We discuss victimless crimes, Bill of Rights, police abuse of power, and corruption. But before we dive into our conversation, let's go through some announcements. On next week's episode, you will finally have stevie madison on the show with me as my full-time co-host so make sure to tune in next week as stevie and i have an amazing conversation with our very special guest now without further ado enjoy this conversation with kevin kabeski today i have another special guest and this is an interesting guest in my opinion just because i've had as many of you know lou pimmer or also known as louis pimmer on the show, uh, and he's running for sheriff in Prima County. And now I have Kevin and, sorry if I butcher your last name, but I think I got it down, Kibeski, who is also running for Prima County. So I never had like two people running for office in the same area on my podcast. So I thought that was really interesting. And the reason I got into, uh, or reached out to Kevin is because when Louise mentioned him. I felt compelled to go to his website and I found some interesting things. I thought, uh, Kevin is a very interesting person and I thought it would be great to have him on. So without further ado, here he is. Uh, Kevin, go ahead and give a an introduction about yourself. Give let us know what you're doing and where you've been. And,
1: well, thank you, James. I appreciate the invite to come onto the podcast. Uh, I'm very humbled and very appreciative of the time that you took to, uh, look me up and look into what it is that I have to offer. Um, my name's Kevin Kabitsky and no, you did not butcher my last name, so thank you. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I grew up in Michigan, and uh, I moved on to the Marine Corps, did some time in the Marine Corps, and then uh, ended up in, in Tucson, Arizona, where I've spent more than half of my life. Um, I've been a uh, law enforcement officer for 21 years, um, a little over 21 years with the Pima County Sheriff's Department. Um, I'm a frontline supervisor. I have been for the last six and a half years, almost seven Um, I'm also, uh, you know, come from a long line of public servants. My father was a 37 year police officer and my mother was a 37 year emergency room nurse. Both my sisters are, are nurses. So it kind of runs in the blood. I have a, uh, very, very defined, um, I guess, sense of, uh, being towards helping others and towards serving the community. Um, it's something that's been ingrained in me and my whole life has been about, so, um, in this particular situation, uh, during my career, um, which I've had just an outstanding career. I've been very blessed. Um, I was, I served in a lot of different areas. I've worked all over the department in all areas on all shifts. Uh, I was on SWAT for nine years. I was the honor guard for six and a half, sixteen and a half 16 and a half years. Um, I ran the dive team for a couple of years. Um, and then I was the association of the Pima County deputy sheriff's association president. And vice president. And while serving as the president, um, I uh, became aware of, ended up becoming a whistleblower to uh, corruption and money laundering within the department. It ultimately led to uh, the dismissal of the sheriff at the time, who's actually running against me now is in the, uh, uh, in the uh, primary. And then it also led to a suicide and an indictment of the two top guys that he, he put into place. After that was said and done, I helped, uh, I helped, uh, formulate and move forward in the, uh, the union realm. We got a new sheriff in and things have gotten, uh, progressively worse because of that and my long line of, uh, public service and, uh, just caring about the community as a whole. Um I talked it over with my family and friends and I decided that I was going to step down from my career that I love and pursue the election to become the next sheriff so that I can clean this stuff up and uh take a proactive stance in in holding people accountable for the community's uh, sake. It's time for uh it's time for transparency, it's time for change, time for reform and uh and I think that I'm the guy that has the courage to lead that uh, Lead
0: that path that's a great intro Kevin uh, and it it leads perfectly into kind of the conversation that I, I want to have is kind of the conversation I had with Mr. Pimmer as well I wanted to talk a little bit also on police corruption and you know not specifically to Pima County necessarily but as you said there is some there has been corruption there it looks like it's progressively getting worse and we see this in a lot of different areas uh, in government or even throughout the country, where you know people just take advantage of their powers and and make it where it benefits them and at the cost of uh, of others. So with that said, one of the things that, that as a libertarian I see where corruption a lot of times happen is within prohibitions, right? When there's a prohibition of of certain things that I consider victimless crimes, such as the drug war, uh, you know, somebody taking drugs, I feel, or getting put into prison for possessing drugs is a victimless crime and that sh- person shouldn't have, have to go to jail. And if they have a problem with drugs, we should be seeking to get them help versus criminalizing them and putting them in jail. But where the corruption part comes into is we do see a lot of police departments that do have deals with, with cartels or with drug gangs and work the system that way. And I don't know if that's what's happening in Pima County, but that's just an example, right? And it usually comes from these prohibitions. So what is your perspective in victimless crimes? What do you consider a victimless crime if you believe in vic- there are victimless crimes? And what is your position on that?
1: Well, that's a very good question, James. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, it's, there are things such as victimless crimes and, uh, we have to take a hard look, but it's a bigger issue than just saying that this A or B or C are victimless crimes. They, in fact, they all tie into each other. And if I can say anything about being, you know, a frontline supervisor, being on the street and being involved in a lot of the different groups inside the sheriff's department is, uh, that's not a problem, uh, as far as working with the cartels, um, from our agency's perspective. Um, what is a problem, uh, what comes into play is the overpopulation of jails, which directly relates to what it is they're talking about, which are these, these victimless crimes. We keep incarcerating and we keep putting in jail people that have, uh, you know, substance abuse problems on a small, very small scale. And instead of us addressing the major issues or the major problems, we're addressing the ones that are at the bottom of that food chain. Um, and it's not going to get anywhere. It creates what's called a revolving door um, for the jail. And when that happens, you get overpopulation, understaffing, People are not treated in a humane way, um, and they're not getting the help that they need. Part of my campaign and what I'm running on is the fact that, uh, you know, my reputation in the community and, and among the community is that I care. It's not uncommon for people to see me out helping someone who, who needs help or stopping out with someone and feeding them or helping them get uh some treatment or uh resources that they need. Uh in order to, uh, to better their lives and become productive, um, in the communities and in, in society as a whole. Um, so moving forward, what I would like to do is I would like to put something in place that works with these nonprofits that focus on, uh, providing those resources to help people out and decriminalizing things like personal use marijuana and personal use, uh, you know, street level drugs where um, it's not hurting anybody but the individual who's taking them. It's time that we start offering the help, especially when those those people want the help. We should be not uh, we should be providing them the resources that gets them where they need to go. And I've looked across the nation and I found programs that actually work and actually succeed. And one of those programs I really like um, and that I'm embracing is to work with nonprofits. Identify what it is. People that are that are coming into jail, interview them through an interview process, find out what it is they need, whether it's you know shelter, food, uh, clothing, um, mental health treatment, uh, disability treatment of any kind, and get them plugged into the nonprofits that can actually help them. Have the nonprofits waiting for them when they get out, so that they are not coming back and that they're getting the treatment they want. And in these programs, we're seeing above sixty percent. Um, turnaround rate where people are actually succeeding at these programs and and not going back to jail, and that has a, a an effect that that goes throughout the entire community because now the taxpayers' money is not focused on uh you know the the keeping the jail full or uh the revolving door or feeding inmates or you know doing things that the money can be rerouted into other areas or other focuses um, that are, are equally as important and provide kind of a humanitarian background.
0: Now, you know, and I was just doing a little bit of research here on Pima County while you were talking as well, and I, you guys are known to have pretty full jails and prisons for these, like, nonviolent crimes which is drug possession, uh, we're using it as an example. I can probably throw out a million other examples of what I consider victimless crimes. But, I mean, there, one of the things, one of the theories, and it's not really a theory, it's, it's reality, I think, uh, from what I've been able to research, is, I mean, jails do produce an economy to the local environment, right? And that's kind of the reason why there are these laws that put these nonviolent people into jail so they can produce the economy. Is there any, have you found any like resistance in your ideas that, oh, well, if we do this, we might not have enough, as many jobs in the prison system or, you know, you're going to take away from what's producing our economy?
1: I think that uh, when you would look at this as a whole, um, I've not had any resistance. In fact, um, the, the groups that I've spoken to and the people I've brought this up with, especially the ones that matter, the community, um, they're in agreement and they, they, they agree. We we can't turn jails into a privatized organization because by doing that it means that we're making money off of human life. And by making money off of human life, we're throwing ethics and morals right out the door. We can't do that. So regardless of who it upsets, regardless of of uh of who doesn't like it, we've got to look at it from an ethical and a moral standpoint as human beings and we got to we got to simply decide how we want to proceed and go forward and in fact if you consider it and you look at pima county's jail we're very short staffed we're very understaffed and we do not have the appropriate inmate to staff member uh, span of control so that puts the inmates in danger it puts them in danger of physical injury of physical harm of uh, no mental wellness it puts the, st- the staff members in harm's way and it just it's it's not good for anybody all the way around having you know identifying programs or doing jail reform and creating programs that work we have the ability to alter people's lives to change them and not you know the the whole concept of uh the economy well the economy thrives when the jails not full just as much as it, dri- it thrives when the econ- when the jail is full I would venture to say that it more than likely will thrive when the jail is less full than when it's more full. And that's because the funds that would normally go to the jail are going to be put towards better uses and and better areas to create the, uh, to increase the economy in other areas.
0: I mean, I would agree just a simple, and I think there's going to be a lot of uh, additional work than just saying, you know, let's not put certain people into jails anymore. Let's seek help for them, for the ones that need help. Um, because in my mind, you know, somebody that takes drugs, if they don't want help, I think that's their decision. And eventually, they'll hit the rock bottom and and get the help they need. If not, then it's kind of their they'll pay their own consequence on that. And but the way well, me, I let think let that's going to a- be it. Go ahead.
1: Let me, I was going to say, sorry, James, let me give you an example of that that I think could be comparative. You know, when when somebody's using drugs and they're using them at their own accord, if they're not placing people in danger, such as driving or doing other uh, other things that that put others in harm's way, if it's simply just about them and their choices, why are we getting involved? Why are we getting involved to the point, unless they want it, if they don't want it, why are we getting involved? And a good example of this is you look at a SWAT team that responds to, a suicidal subject alone in a house, right? That right. It's not a crime. There's no crime there. So what does the SWAT team do? They walk away, right? They leave that individual. Okay. So here you have a person armed with a handgun in a house and it's not a crime to be in that kind of situation or that position. Yet the SWAT team's walking away from it. Yet we come across somebody who's using personal use drugs and we get in their business and we get all up into what they're doing and how they're doing it. So sure. it doesn't really much make, it doesn't really much make sense.
0: Well, not to mention all the funds that goes into sending that SWAT team out there to make a arrest for somebody that's just in their home doing something to themselves and not affecting anybody else.
1: Correct. It's not a, it's a misconception. It's not a crime to be in that position or, or doing something along those lines and we provide help to those people and we provide resources to those people that are are just profound we
0: should be doing right. the
1: same for for somebody who's
0: using drugs i i mean i couldn't have said it better and that's like and i know you're running as uh, a democrat and i hate using labels on on my podcast but i think it's just one uh, important thing to kind of mention in this uh because there are a lot of democrats as much as there are many many republicans that will disagree with you. Their thing is, well, you know, the, somebody needs to be involved in this. They could possibly hurt somebody. Well, I mean, they could do many other things as well, but we can't make that determination for for them. And right. I think the okay, other, I think I, yeah, go ahead. go ahead.
1: I'm sorry. No, no, no. Well,
0: the other thing is, what ends up happening though, is you put other people in risk by trying to enforce these just, drug use possession laws, right, where a person is only hurting themselves. if they, And it puts other people at risk. It puts the officers at risk. It can potentially put the surrounding population at risk when we try to fight people that are not doing any harm to anybody else. And we've seen this. We've seen several examples of this. I don't know if you've seen ever an example of this, but uh, there was a case, I believe it was in Florida, where SWAT team went to go into a house because this person was suspected of having drugs in their house and they accidentally went to the wrong address and accidentally killed a child because they threw in a flash grenade and it hit the child. You know, these are consequences that shouldn't have happened in the first place because the person that was doing drugs in their home wasn't hurting anybody. So I think that's a a major reason why we shouldn't be doing these things.
1: Right. You know, and, and, Obviously, there's there's always going to be human error and human the human element involved um, when deciding those things and deciding you know where to go and why. I don't know the circumstances of that case. I have not read them, so I can't really comment on wrongdoing or or non wrongdoing um, in those events. I would have to evaluate it, and that would be the appropriate thing to do is to look at it from all all angles and all aspects. Um, but what I can say is there is. You know, there shouldn't be mistakes like that made where you hit the wrong house. There shouldn't be, and that boils down to a whole lot of different, different things and different avenues. But getting back to what you're talking about and like the personal drug use and, and things of that nature, I can give you a perfect example. Look at marijuana. Marijuana is slowly legalizing around the United States, much like prohibition, um, when, when it happened, uh, way back when, uh, in regards to alcohol and, Right now, you've got officers that are having to stop out with, uh, individuals who have personal use marijuana. They say they have a marijuana card, but they may not have the card on them. Um, and then if the officer has time and the officer wants to go through it, they can verify that and they can go through the process of doing that. But think about you as a taxpayer. Think about your time, your money. Um, going towards what these officers are doing. These officers are going through the steps that they're required to go through because certain laws exist and certain laws are are, are present on the books. However, nine times out of ten, they're not doing anything with that contact, and they're walking away, and it turns out to be a big waste of the person's time from the community and the officer's time when they could be out there affecting something a little bit more serious or – responding to something a little more serious or addressing something a little more serious instead of wasting their time on something as as minuscule and minor as trying to establish whether somebody has a marijuana card or not.
0: May I ask you like because your perspective in this makes perfect sense to me and I you know and it seems like I argue with a lot of people and I this is the reason why I created this platform was to stop arguing with people and just have a conversation but in the past I would argue with people all the time about these same things, right? And it seems like you kind of share a very similar perspective that, that I do about not wasting people's time, not wasting taxpayers' money, and actually doing things that actually matter and getting the real criminals, getting the rapists, getting the child molesters off the streets versus um, dealing with having to go through an entire process just to verify that somebody's allowed to have marijuana or not. And... It shouldn't even matter if they are not allowed to have marijuana.
1: Well, you gotta, and I can, I can help clarify that a little bit better, I think, um, and it might help. If you consider what you just said, most officers don't like having to go through that process of doing all those things. They're not, they're doing it because the laws exist. When you look at like the sheriff's department, the sheriff's department and the sheriff, what they're supposed to do is affect law. Their personal feelings on things don't matter their personal stance on things don't matter. Like you brought up earlier, you hate mentioning titles. Well, sheriff's officers or sheriff's deputies and, and officers, there, there, there is no d- Democrat, Republican, independent, um, liberal, non-liberal. There's none of that. When they, res- I always equate it to when they respond to a domestic violence situation and they get there, they walk in, they take a middle point. They don't list, they don't ask you what you, you know, you believe in. They don't ask you what, um your stance is they take a middle point until they get to a, a point where they have a preponderance of evidence towards one way or the other and right. that's what they make their decision they make their their decision on so um as law enforcement we have to do the laws that exist on the books so what we want people to understand and what i'm pushing for people to understand is look as the law enforcement officer uh, of the of the county that the top law enforcement officer We don't get to pick and choose which laws we follow. We have to follow the laws, and the way that we as a community work together is to decide as a whole what the best avenue and approach is, and then we work through our legislators and our congressmen to change those laws so that we can affect those laws.
0: And, I mean, like you said, you can do that through influencing the the community and Now, is there any room for discretion on your part of, hey, you know, let's set these priorities, let's make sure that we're prioritizing and looking for a lot more serious crimes rather than focusing on uh, a violation of marijuana, not having a marijuana card or, uh, and so forth?
1: Well, there is leniency on our part in the fact that we can we can say, Hey, look, we want you to understand case law better. We want you to understand. Cause that's, that's probably the biggest area where law enforcement get themselves into trouble is there. It's just a lack of understanding what the law is. It's a lack of understanding what case law is. And that's ever changing. Right. It happens, you know, it, it changes on a daily basis.
0: Exactly. To yes. us as
1: agent, as agency heads to stay focused and stay in touch with changing times. And I think what you see is you see a lot of older. Uh, command staff and older um, individuals running agencies and they're stuck in their ways. They're not absorbing this vastly changing society or this vastly changing community or the vastly changing case law that occurs on almost a daily basis. So by educating and keeping everybody apprised through reform methods, what you do is you ultimately – you enhance and you you give them that discretion to make better choices and to pick and choose what's, I guess, through common sense would be the better choice. Do I do I stop and spend two hours wasting everybody's time, or do I go over here and potentially catch you know a guy walking down the street that's a rapist? Right. So uh, it, it you know it's it's through that education and through that understanding that I think you would see a great deal of of common sense increase
0: you know one of the things and i, I mentioned to you before the episode i have a you know a, a network of youtubers and podcasters that i always keep in contact with and I, I reached out to a few of them to find out what do they think that i should be talking about with with you and uh the biggest thing that always comes up especially in the libertarian movement is uh police officers and law enforcement officers agents they they swear an oath to the Constitution and that should trump any municipal law at the end of the day because it is the law of the land. And there has been instances. And again, I don't know if this is Pima County situation or not, but where law enforcement officers will kind of trump on people's uh, bill of rights when it comes to First uh, Amendment in some areas, Second Amendment uh and the the biggest one is Fourth Amendment rights, where cops will simply just search you without probable cause uh, or without a warrant. But they'll use the excuse, uh, "Well, municipal law says I can." In your experience and in your uh, your perspective, what what comes first? Does it, does municipal law, the county laws, come before the, the the Constitution, or is your oath primarily towards the Constitution and the Bill of Rights?
1: Well, James, I'm really, really glad that you brought this up and I'm really glad that you asked that question because uh, when I took on the responsibility and the decision to try and represent the community and the men and women of the sheriff's department, um, it was based on my understanding and my research about what a sheriff is. What is a sheriff? You know, what? what is the purpose? Why was a sheriff created and, and what is their job? And I came up with, through everything I've read, everything I've researched, I came up with three things, and it just so happened to be the three things that I, that I believe in, that a sheriff should do. And, and they're, they're pretty set in stone. You can't get away from it. It's, it is what it is, and, and you gotta, you gotta accept that. And it doesn't matter where you come from or who you are, they're, they're, they're set. And that is that a sheriff upholds the Constitution, first and foremost. That is what a sheriff is there to do. Second, a sheriff upholds state law as long as it doesn't violate the constitution. And the third is that a sheriff is the last standpoint between a tyrannous government and the people that elected that person to be in office. And those three things are the, are the, the bread and butter, the backbone to what a sheriff is. So as long as a sheriff operates underneath those three guidelines, there's nothing there's nothing that they're doing outside of what they're supposed to be doing. Education and keeping your deputies informed about what case law is. And I I'll, I'll ha- I have to admit, we have some pretty intelligent people at our department that have demonstrated a a tenacity to understand uh case law. And how the Fourth Amendment applies. We are actually a pretty good agency when it comes to applying the Fourth Amendment. And, and we kind of pride ourselves on that. But that's also through a heavy, heavy dose of education and making sure that our new guys are well informed and, uh, that our, our, uh, retained individuals are passing on good information. So, um, having a good conceptual understanding of what, you know, the Fourth Amendment is, we we brief that on a, on a on a regular basis to make sure that people understand um, what they can and what they cannot do. Now there is problems across the nation in agencies that don't take a, a proactive stance in making sure that their their officers or their deputies are educated enough to understand when they can and when they cannot search. And, and that's, that's a problem. I mean, that's, that's something that these individual agencies need to take a look at and seriously evaluate. And if they don't, then it's ultimately going to cost taxpayers the money because people are going to be suing their, when their, their amendments or their, their rights get violated.
0: Right. And I think that's, I'm really impressed, you know, on my end here of somebody that went that, that far to go and research, you know, what an actual sheriff is. And surprised that you're not surprised that it meant to uphold the Constitution. Because, again, I, I talk to other people and, and other law enforcement agents and they'll be like, well, yeah, but, you know, uh, we still have to do things for our own protection or for our own safety and that kind of, tr- you know, that's why we maybe don't follow the Fourth Amendment, you know, to, to the T because we have to protect ourselves you don't understand it's really it's a tough job out there and sometimes we have to do things that trumps other people's rights and I I just for me it's like wow why you you swear an oath to those bill of rights to the constitution as a whole but the bill of rights is part of it and you should be upholding that before anything else and you kind of join the force. Knowing the risks, and I know that sounds kind of callous to say, but I bet I served for 14 years, and I knew the risks that I was taking by joining. And I ultimately had to follow my oath. I had to support my oath before anything else, knowing the risks that comes with it. I got to say, I'm pretty impressed with your answer to that. So, uh, especially coming from somebody that's running part uh, as a certain political party. And Well, I'll
1: I'll tell you. go ahead, Jake.
0: Yeah, no, go ahead. I think you're going to answer exactly where I was going to ask.
1: So so my my political party is 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 Democrat because I if you if you knew me from childhood or my friends talked to you, they would tell you Kevin's Kevin's loyal to his beliefs. He's loyal to what he uh he, he uh follows and what he follows is kind of a generalized standard of just doing the right thing and and doing what is expected of you through common sense and, and, a, and a deep understanding from not just my perspective, but from other perspectives. One of the things I tell everybody is, look, I am not, nor will I ever be the smartest person standing in the room, but I know how to surround myself with the right people that do know what they're doing when it applies to certain things where I want to associate right. with them. And and I think that's important is, is is to understand that true leadership, in my opinion, comes from the ability to tap into all those around you that know what they're doing better than you. And taking that approach, I don't see how there can be failure. You know, when you think about people's rights being uh, the, the deputy you just spoke about or the officer you just spoke about having the concern and saying, hey, uh, we sometimes do this for officer safety reasons, we'll violate your Fourth Amendment right or something along those lines. Well, I think that's just mismanaged education. Somebody once taught that person how to say that and once taught right. that person that that was acceptable and okay, and it's not. And that person should absolutely be questioning that and, and saying, no, if you're violating something or that word comes out of your mouth, violation, It should be making you stop and think and have credibility of your own accord and hold your own self accountable to say, I need to figure this out and get to the bottom of it before I start doing it, not just because somebody else says it's okay. So I think in that long run, it's somebody having lack of education because they don't quite understand it. The better response to that situation is, look, I just violated your Fourth Amendment right, but did you know about this case law or did you know about this case law? where in this situation, this happens or that happens. That way you're not just giving a random answer. You're educating the public on why you're choosing to do what you do. And right, wrong, or indifferent, you're still creating a conversation that can be talked about instead of one-sided and saying this is the way it is.
0: Right. And that's exactly it. I mean, there has been case laws. And like you said, case law is, ever changing uh you have to stay up to date with it and you know there was a one point case law where stop and frisk was okay and then it changed again you know where it's not okay because it is a violation of your fourth amendment right regardless of safety one of my favorite quotes from from our founding fathers uh one of our founding fathers is you know benjamin franklin you if you trade your liberties for a little bit of security you deserve neither. And I kind of butchered that, that quote, but it's there. And, uh, at the end of the day, you know, the, you, you have to kind of those, that, the Bill of Rights are there for a reason. It's because we, you know, the, the, the revolution and our founding fathers shed so much blood to, to free us from a tyrannical rule. And it just makes no sense to go back to it just because you might be uh, afraid of certain threats out there that, yeah, they exist. But, I mean, we can't tackle every single risk or every single threat all the time because it takes away from the essence of freedom. So that's my little spiel there. But
1: no, I, I like what you have to say. And I, I would if you don't mind, I'd like to add that. There's there are times in my my 21 years on on this uh, department, there are times where I've seen in extreme circumstances, I've seen somebody's rights violated by really, really, really sound, squared away police officers who care very much about their community. And in right. those situations, they they weren't looking to make an arrest. They weren't looking to to limit that person for any other reason than safety. For everybody involved and, um, and it was an immediate apology upon doing it and an immediate acknowledgement, uh, upon doing it. Hey, I'm sorry. I did that to you and I know you felt this way, but look what just happened. That car just ran through that window. Um, and that's why I, I secured you, you know, or something along those lines. Oh, absolutely. I, I was, do- I was doing it to protect you, not to limit you from what you, what you deserve or what what you're owed. So there's a time and a place, it just needs to involve a conversation and it needs to involve understanding and communication. Communication is the ultimate key between a community and any public service, firefighters, cops, however you want to look at it. But communication is always where it breaks down. That's where you get the tensions and that's where you get the lack of understanding. When you start involving your community and what you're doing and why, and you become transparent, and when I say transparent, I mean, if I'm doing something wrong, you need to know. If your tax dollars at work, you need to know. And if I'm doing something right, you need to know. Enough of these political standpoints where I'm only going to tell you what's going on that's right, and I'm not going to acknowledge anything that's going on that's bad that doesn't do anything but destroy trust and you cannot have or work for a community without trust and communication.
0: Absolutely. You know, I've I've witnessed several police departments as I've been doing research and been doing this podcast and been in the liberty movement where they they do the things that you just mentioned. Just being transparent and having an open line of communication between the department the the law enforcement Agencies and the, and the public makes a whole difference. It builds trust. And that's the other part that is very crucial to have in the community between law enforcement and the, the, the civil community is trust. Because if you can't trust your, your law enforcement agency, a lot of things will start falling through the cracks. A lot of crimes will happen that could have been avoided, that could have been reported. We, I discussed this in one of my episodes with one of my guests when we were talking about sex work, where she could not trust the police to go and report, you know, an incident because they didn't care that a crime, another crime has happened. They wanted to make sure that they, you know, arrested her and charged her because she was involved in the situation when she was the person reporting. So now that person will never uh, trust the police. Again, if another crime would ever happen.
1: Yes, I've met several of I've met several people like that, and unfortunately, those people come from domestic uh, violence situations.
0: Yes, th- that's a big one, definitely.
1: That's that, that's huge.
0: It, can you give us a Have you ever seen like an example of that in your in your uh, career?
1: Uh, yes, I actually I, I've seen several um, where somebody calls in. And, uh, an allegation is made and, uh, inexperienced police officers make a quick jump or assumption and they make an arrest and then it comes back that the arrest is bad. So then they make the arrest on the right side of, uh, of the situation, but the person who called is now tainted and will never call again because they don't want that to happen again. Right. It's like being double, it's like being double victimized.
0: Yeah. Definitely. So you talked about kind of the corruption that you've had to, uh, you know, that you're a whistleblower about. I want to go back to that a little bit. And you said things are getting worse. Uh, is this still involving the the money laundering, or is it something separate and it's just as bad or worse?
1: Um, it's. I would say it's the. It's probably just as bad as far as the. The bullying and the uh, retaliation going on uh, underneath this new sheriff from 2016, um, he is, let me see, there's two lawsuits going on. There's a special master going on. There's allegations of perjury on the sheriff. There is uh, approximately six or more bullying complaints um, and retaliation complaints that are downtown with Human Resources. Um, and those complaints have been sitting there for over a year. So it's, it's pretty bad. It's pretty substantial. We're losing deputies at a profound rate. We're losing our corrections officers at a profound rate. Nobody wants to do the job anymore because of the fear and the air of fear that's in place. Um, when I chose to do this, I mean, I'll give you an example. When I chose to do this, And go this route. It it began with me, and I, you know, having gone through it as the whistleblower back in 2015 over the RICO and the laundering of money by the department, I was I'm familiar with it, and 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 I can take it, and and that's fine because I know the ultimate end is to get a better department for the for the men and women of the sheriff's department. And I'm a servant leader, so when you consider that and you work for those people and you get them happy and they have ownership in what they do, they tend to serve their customers, which is the community, a lot better. And so I always equate it to that. Are you familiar with the Container Store? Uh, no. So the Container Store, just to give you an idea really quick before I go forward, because if you don't understand servant leadership, it's kind of hard to understand what I'm talking about. Servant leadership is based on a concept that if you take care of your employees, they then take care of the customer, and it becomes a cyclic relationship um, between all everybody involved. The Container Store is the, is one of the only companies in the world to hit billion dollar status in like 3 years. And the reason why is because they treat their employees like they own the company. Right. So when you walk when you walk through that front door of the Container Store, that greeter who stands there has as much stock options in that company as the manager running the store. So that person's going to treat you like it's their business. And right. by doing that, by doing that, you're getting the best service out of that person that you possibly can. Now, if you have a deputy who's working on the street and he's in, he or she's in fear of retaliation, being bullied, um, that if they do something wrong, they're going to get in trouble. Are you going to get the best service out of that individual?
0: Probably not.
1: No, you're not. No, they're going to be and disgruntled
0: and, and not focus on what you need to focus on.
1: Correct. So, and that, that extends to the support staff too. They're just as important. The civilians that work at any police department, we have 400 sworn, uh, deputies. We've got several hundred sworn COs and we've got a total of 1500 employees. So majority of our support staff are civilian employees and they get overlooked every day and they're just as afraid and they're, ju- they're operating and working under the same conditions as your, your sworn police officers and your sworn COs.
0: Well, what what is this bullying attributed to, though? Is it uh, the old school mentality? If I like treat this person, they're gonna this way. They're gonna be more disciplined, or is it like something where there's like a a good old boy group, and everybody else is left outside and they're treated like crap? Yes, all the above. All the above. There we go. Yeah,
1: It, it is. Uh, it is a huge cronyistic um good old boy, yes man uh situation that we're in and that we worked very hard as a group uh in 2016 to get rid of. And we did right. not get rid of it. it. It only increased and got worse. So like
0: the one group that's like probably favored, they get all the, the, the better promotions and if they do something wrong, they're protected and then everybody else is just left to the wolves and are treated like crap if they do something wrong and stuff like that. So a lot of what we see in, in government in general yes. at times, yes. right?
1: Yes. Yes. You know, all, all the time. I guess. Right.
0: But so what, what is kind of your plan? If, if that's not giving out too much, uh, you know, for your, for your campaigning, but what is kind of your plan to fix that?
1: Well, I'm glad you asked that too. I have uh, very different campaign platforms than I think any other uh, candidate running for sheriff has had before. Um, one of the things that I don't like is that in order, in, in this, I've sat down and for years and I've thought about this, um, and and I've really taken approach of the thirty thousand foot view looking down, and the community that we live in in Pima County is a very diverse community, extremely diverse community. It is a gigantic melting pot, and if you look at the command staff in our sheriff's department, they are the highest-paid commanders um, in any county in Arizona, and our deputies are on the bottom end of the scale as far as what they're paid, and our civilian staff is as well. So our command staff is the disparity between uh, what they're paid and what we're paid is greatly different, and that creates an air of power and cronyism and if you look at our command staff they do not reflect the culture um the the divi- diversity of our cult- culture both mm-hmm. in gender and in culture they uh they do not reflect it and i think it's important if you're going to serve a community and you're going to understand the cultures in which you're serving you need to be as diverse as they are in order to understand them so one of the first things i'm going to do is I'm going to um, wipe out my unclassified positions at the top, and I'm going to replace them with uh, people of both gender and cultural diversity. I will be the first sheriff in the history of Pima County to name my chief deputy, which is the second in charge, in some places they call it the undersheriff, as a woman. And the reason I picked this woman is because she's an outstanding leader, she's a servant leader, she has a caring heart, and it's that kind of heart and her experience and background that she comes from that would absolutely lead this department into the future and embrace the change that is needed for reform and for uh, servant leadership. The other positions I will backfill, and we will get started. We'll get started on a, an, a plan to take the diversity that we currently have at our ground level and bring it up through the ranks appropriately and effectively for those that earn it. Not because I like you and not because okay. you're my friend. So that's one, that's one of the campaign platforms that, that I'm operating on. Um, there's several others. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to look at any of them or, or want to talk about them, but I'm open to discuss any bit of it.
0: Now, I think one thing that I can only imagine your, your opponents using kind of using that against you in a way of like, Oh, this guy just wants to come in and he wants to get rid of people, you know, good people that have worked there for forever. And, but do you feel that the community is buying into that, into like making the department more diverse? Absolutely. I mean,
1: yep. Absolutely.
0: I, one of the things a friend of mine does, he's a, he's an activist and he's been pushing a lot for is, He feels that there's a lot of places, and particularly in his community, where the majority of the people in, quote, unquote, in charge, right, that are in these higher political positions, he feels in his community are out of touch because they're not diverse enough. You know, he brings it up all the time on YouTube. He's like, you know, you just are a bunch of old white men that are just out of touch, and it's time for us to get some diversity in there
1: you you just hit the nail on the head
0: do you get any lashback from that though because i mean state the obvious you are a uh, you know you're a white man but you do want diversity in there do you get any backlash from that because i know my uh, friend does whenever he brings it up because he is white and he's like well what do you know you're white
1: the, you know so far i i've not gotten any bla- uh, backlash and i've been asked you know the same question hey you're a, a short white guy, but you know what? I've had my own struggles in life. Um, just like every person has had their own struggles and it's a matter of how we deal with those struggles and, and what we put forward. I will never claim a cultural issue, even though where I grew up, which was a suburb, uh, you know, outside of Detroit, I got exposure to cultures, uh, very deeply and I've got to see them in all aspects of my life. I, I chose to go overseas uh, when I was in the Marine Corps and to experience other cultures, to see how they live, to see what they go through and to absorb that, uh, in me. I come from a melting pot kind of family, um, where I've got a mixture of, of different races, nieces and nephews and, uh, adopted kids. And so that's, that's very much a part of who I am. And yeah, you know, I, I, People can say what they want to say about what I am and who I am, but what my message is. And if you look back at me and look at my credibility from 2015, I say what I mean and I, and I really fight for what I say. Um, I don't back down. And if I could say anything about myself that I know I have as a virtue is that I'm persistent. I don't stop and I just keep going. And I believe very wholeheartedly. And having a diverse, um, command staff that reflects the community. I think that's step number
0: one. I 100% agree. I mean, yeah. No, I 100% agree because if you have somebody that is put into this, a, a position of, of leadership and it's supposed to be there to protect the community, if you're out of touch with the community, there's no, that's another part of communication that's missing then. And again, if we don't have communication, if we don't have good communication with the community, now you don't have trust, and if you don't have trust, then you know you have a problem. I I agree. Uh, I uh I really appreciate what you're doing. A lot of people will tell me that you know you just shouldn't believe any politician or what they promise and stuff like that. But uh, I have I I 100% agree with your stance and your your so far a lot of Your campaign platform would even dare to say it's very uh, libertarian of you. (laughs) Uh, But (laughs) you know, I think the most important part is that you recognize, you know, your your oath is to the Constitution, and I think that's a lot of a lot of police officers don't or law enforcement agents. I keep saying police officer. I know that's kind of there's different things. Law enforcement is more broad. And it seems like they swear an oath to, to the Constitution, but they don't really understand what that necessarily means. And, again, it's, it's just maybe a, a more of an educational thing, not being educated enough. I do think that there are just some people that somehow get into these positions that have always been abusive in their life or have experienced abuse and it carries on. And then they end up in these positions and they are abusive in those positions as well. And it's just the way they are and it comes, you and know, it's your, James, your responsibility to, to weed them out.
1: And James, I'll, I'll, I'll back you on that and say, you know, um, through my life experience to those that I know and those that I have met, you know, it, this, this job attracts a certain kind of person and it doesn't matter who you are or what you go through or what you've been through. Ultimately, at the end of the day, whatever profession you're in, whatever you're doing, You're 100% responsible for the choice that you make and what, for what kind of person you choose to be. And if you have no ability to self-reflect and, and look inside yourself and embrace it, whether you like what you see or whether you don't like what you see, then you've got bigger problems than what profession you choose. So regardless of your background, regardless of what kind of upbringing you had, you've had, you have an obligation to yourself and those obligations can't be policed by anybody but you and you have to you have to live with yourself at the end of the day
0: so absolutely uh you want to give us a plug in uh, how people can find you and how they can communicate yeah. with you yeah
1: yeah absolutely so my my cell phone number is 520-771-5229 that is my campaign phone and, uh, you can find me by going to Kubitsky, that's K-U-B-I-T-S-K-E-Y, the number four, and then sheriff, S-H-E-R-I-F-F. Um, that's Kubitsky for sheriff, uh, and then, uh, or, uh, you can, uh, just call me, and leave me a message on my phone, and I will absolutely get back to you. I've got a lot of other broad, uh, platforms. Um, as you can see, I like to talk, but I also like to talk about <laughs> these topics because I, th- I I think they're important, and I think yeah, what definitely. you're doing is a great job, and I think um we need more people out there like you bringing these these topics up and 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 just bringing bringing it to a conversation. That's what it needs to be.
0: Exactly. Uh, I've learned you know one of the things I've noticed about myself is what has made me grow grow is uh having conversations with people. The the person that I was when I was 17 years old and joining the Navy to the person that I am today, a lot older. I won't throw out my age. I just had a birthday out a couple of weeks ago, and I'm 29. I definitely <laughs> did. <do. laughs> I wish. And uh, you know, it's a it's a very different person. Uh, could probably go back and and see the 17 year old person me, and you would think that we're two different people. So, uh, and this has contributed to these. type of conversations just constantly talking to people learning and working together well Uh, if we're not
1: constantly striving to grow then we're lying stagnant and we're dying
0: exactly and it I agree I agree with you alright that's uh, kinda oh we got. I'm so thankful for you being on the podcast this was a great conversation and I wish you the best of luck in your campaign and I hope people hear your message and it, it, it does you well.
1: Yeah, I you know I appreciate that very much. And like you know, like any campaign, the big big things are word of mouth. Please, if you like what I have to say and you like my message, don't hesitate to donate because we obviously need money all the time. But at the same time, word of mouth and getting the name out there and and making this this message go viral is is really important.
0: All right, sounds good. Thank you again and uh, have a good night.
1: All right. Thank you, James. Talk to you again.